Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. Welcome to Value After Hours, uh, Markets in Turmoil, Coronavirus Edition, Mark 2. I'm here with my co-host Bill Brewster and Jake Taylor. Jake, what's your topic this week? Well, I'm going to be discussing how this virus may be the crowbar on the tracks of our train of fragility. Scary. And Bill, what are you talking about? I'm going to talk about how this all made me a little more introspective as an investor and um, my perceived benefits of holding uh, more anti-fragile businesses. And I'll be talking about what the high yield index can tell us about the, the stock market in decline coming up right after this. Tobias Carlisle is the founder and principal of Acquire's Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the acquirer's funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of acquirer's funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquirersfunds.com. We're recording March 11, uh, SPY currently at uh, 265. We're down about 4.65% for the day, so... The, the, the market is truly trading like a penny stock. It's up and down 5% every single day. Um, I think that there's some genuine damage occurring to the underlying fundamentals as well. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But let's start with the, the topic that is front of mind, and that's coronavirus. Jake, that's your topic. Wait, real quick. Uh, trigger warning to Google. Please don't demonetize us. We no, are this having one's a gone. legit discussion. Six We're having a legit gone. discussion. No oh, warheads. Yeah. No warheads. Uh, oh, well, we'll have to have the conversation anyway. That's You know why? Because we care about the people. We're not in it for the money. That's exactly right. We're, there's six dollars. Uh, we're foregoing that. I don't that. know how much we're making on this. So <laughs> That's we'll, gross. We might have to scrub the six bucks. We're starting to really monetize those 10 listeners. <laughs> yeah, the ARPU is going through the roof. Strong. I got to say, what do you guys think? You think we traded 45 times sales? <laughs> or revenues, rather? This is a oh. podcast. Podcast very valuable right now. It's right. Easy. High ROIC, quick growth. I don't know. I think it's worth at least $20,000. What do you guys think? Well, um, now that we now that we have your microphone actually plugged in, like the sky ooh, is the limit. Right there ooh. we go. Yeah, some now of you the parts. Hear my sweet, sweet voice. <laughs> so, uh, my segment um, is going to be the how the coronavirus might be the crowbar on the tracks that is derailing a lot of the fragility uh, that we've built up in our system. So, I'm I'm gonna do. I'm going to do it in sections, and maybe I'll try to keep each section, and then you guys riff on it. Uh, Sounds like a plan. Oh, the fucking mate. Someone start. Yeah, let's. I didn't say anything yet. I, I tried uh, to hold you back, though. We won't okay. let it. <laughs> All right. So, first place to start is let's go with uh, the supply chain. Uh, so, just in time, they like to talk about how it it can increase the or decrease your inventory expenses by up to 75%. And they they highlight companies like Toyota and Dell and Harley and and how how uh it's, it's such a good thing that we have this just in time. Well, that's maybe turning out to be a fragile situation and a and a, a short win and a long loss uh potentially. Um 
you know, you look at the iPhone and it's built in like, you know, 10 different countries. Everything is shipping all over the world to, to get to us. Um, 80% of our antibiotics are made in China. So, you know, we have all these different things that are very important to our day-to-day lives that are, are based on a just-in-time framework. So topic number one, I guess, is uh, how fragile is our supply chain? Yeah, fragile. I've been I've been saying this uh, for a little while uh, on different podcasts, but I I think that we're, some of that China's the just in time manufacturing hub for the entire world, and you've got lots of things out there that even if they have just one component in them, and they're sitting waiting for that one component, the thing doesn't get made. So I think that this problem is something that rolls on and on and on. Um, I I. Probably we have to revisit just in time. I, I don't know if that's a sensible way of doing. It. Maybe you got to stockpile more parts. Yeah, I mean, you know, I said it last week. I'll say it again. Dan McMurtry was like way ahead of the curve on this. I mean, he he highlighted this exact issue three weeks ago. Um, my man Charlie Grant, uh, he just said on Twitter that he got a you know some major Dow component company said like there's no way we're going to be back from this because the supply chain's so messed up. Going to be back um, at all? No, no. Like so I I think what his comment is is if you are are betting on a V-shaped recovery from this, it, it, it's just structurally impossible for some of these companies to be back. Um you know, like I happen to be pretty bullish on service industry and travel related companies because you don't need the supply chain to come back together. You just need people to be confident to travel again. And it's also the sector that's gotten the shit kicked out of it lately. So that's where most of my focus is. But like, if you think, you know, um, I mean, I don't know, whatever, whatever manufacturing company you want to pick, it's going to take a while to get all this stuff put back together again. Um, I was talking to my, my neighbor is in private equity. He does uh, retail focused private equity. He has some company that distributes through either Walmart or Five Below or something like that. They're planning on two months of no inventory. Like they're just not going to have product for two months. That's their base case. That's, That's crazy. Scary. Yeah. So speaking of travel, a few things for you that I mean, we live in in an interconnected world like never before. Uh, And if you look at Jeffrey West has this interesting book called Scale, which is all about like networks and, you know, city like big cities tend to produce more of everything that is human. So including innovation, economics, but also disease, sickness, like it it spreads faster. And so the number of global arrivals, according to the World Bank in 2009, was 900 million. So that's how many people went to another country and touched down there. By 2018, it was 1.5 billion. So we have a like a disease or a, a virus like coronavirus has the potential of getting all over the world and really showing us that an interconnected world has its downsides as well. Here's a, here's a question that uh, that I've been thinking about in relation to that. Why is it that some countries in the world are so far behind the the uh, you know the so that everybody knows that that by now that it, it doubles every five day to eight or so. days is doubles what, every five to eight days that's what i've been reading so far in a couple different places and so you can look at what's happened in these other countries and say that's what the future looks like for the u.s but why is the u.s already so 
what ha- what what has happened that, to make the US to make us so far behind that that process? And it's the UK, the US, Australia as well is sort of delayed. Whereas there are some countries like Italy, China, naturally, Iran got was like caught really early. What what why is that? Why is there such a lag between some countries and others? I don't. I think I don't know. I think it's uh, we just haven't gotten there yet. I think we're just like on the same train. But I agree. We're, a few cars back. I'm just wondering why I, we're why we're that far back. Well, I mean, do we know that we're actually that far back? Right? I mean, part of the issue is the amount of testing. That's a good point. So, I mean, like, I was talking to True. my buddy's uh, girlfriend, who is an ER nurse, and sh- she's, like, losing sleep right now because she's like, we are already at capacity, and this flu season is already bad. And she she managed through uh, the swine flu. That was her first year nursing. They had to have pop-up hospitals. Like, they had to build tents out back. And she was like, you know, people aren't really thinking, like, God forbid you break your arm or you need an emergency service. How are the nurses? Like, your nurses might be sick. How are they going to be? I mean, there's just a lot of issues right now that are coming. And I think maybe some people are attributing – uh, flu symptoms to this. I don't know. Google again. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to spread misinformation. I'm just having a discussion here. So, so as of yesterday, we were at 1,000 confirmed cases in the U.S. That seems and, low. Well, yeah, it confirmed. is. Low. Well, when you don't test, you don't, you don't have to worry about it. Uh, but that was so my high school theory. Doubling every five to <laughs> what, five to eight days. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're. There are anywhere from fifty to sixty-five thousand ICU beds in the U.S. And I, you know, there are different numbers for some reason. I don't know why, but um, we're in thirty days from now, doubling every five to eight days. We're at sixty-four thousand at that point, right? So within a month, we'll have all of the ICU beds full. If they aren't, we're already full with people with other things, right? So, uh, like we're medically i think we're very flat-footed for this and and not just medically but actually from a health standpoint one of the big predictors of morbidity for this is like other cofactors like smoking and obesity and that that actually should be quite a bit of concern for us because we're the last in 2018 the cdc had us at 42% obesity rate in the us we have a similar number who are deficient in vitamin d which may be another thing that could, is uh would help us fight off uh, a, a virus like this. Does getting whoa, whoa, sun wait. help you there? Yeah, are you telling me that I this is my pitch to move out of Chicago? Uh, vitamin D your, deficiency. Just go stare at the from, sun. I think this is the I pitch. Can't, for, dude, have you seen Chicago weather in the winter? Actually, this has been a nice winter. This has been nice, but <laughs> I think the pitch is honestly for you if like if you to manufacture that heart attack moment that makes you kind of get your shit together from a health standpoint, this is a great time to reevaluate your health protocols for your own mm-hmm. own health. And like, if you ever needed a reason to want to, to take it up a notch in how you take care of yourself, like this is a great reason to do it. Um, 35% well, of us aren't getting enough sleep. Uh, 9 million adults are diagnosed with chronic bronchitis. Uh, I mean, we're, we're unhealthy already. We, I wouldn't be shocked if we didn't have even maybe somewhat higher mortality rates than what some people are predicting that, you know, one to two to three percent. If if it gets into the population that's that is already at risk due to poor health previously, like, holy shit, this I mean, this could be pretty bad. Yeah, I, I 
that's sort of, I guess, you know, in retrospect over the past three weeks, how, how my thinking on this has really shifted is I didn't understand how the wave worked, right? Like my mind wasn't mathematically doubling every couple of days. And I didn't also understand sort of how constricted the system was, uh, in, in conjunction with the wave. Right. So I think I thought this would be a lot shorter in duration than I do now. Um, and, uh, what did, what did you say? You said a couple of things that I triggered investment related thoughts. Oh, I was listening to a call that JP Morgan had and the guy said, he's like, you know, part of the problem, right. Is so I used to own AB InBev. I'm out. Uh, I've been out for a little bit. And, and the reason is I was listening to this call and he just said like, it's about to get cold in the Southern hemisphere and they are fundamentally not prepared from a health standpoint. And if you are a company and your mm. growth is dependent on emerging markets, and God forbid you have leverage on top of that, I want nothing to do with it. I sold Philip Morris for the same reason. I thought that I had assumed a decline curve, and this is like totally illuminated a risk that I just don't, I mean, want to have to deal with because this thing is mowing down smokers. Um, I don't know. I, I really... You know, at the at the risk of sounding alarmist, I really hope it is sort of not what everybody's worried about. I grew up in Florida. We always used to worry about hurricanes and they they didn't come. And I was happy about that. But, yeah, this this thing could get bad. I think often the the reason that things are better than people expect is that people do something about it in the in the Mm -hmm. as they see it coming. And Mm -hmm. like the U.S. has been quite fortunate in that we are the last train in the caboose and not at the front of the train and so we have had more time but we have done nothing with it so that makes me a little bit nervous dude it's so frustrating and that's what i i mean i sent out a tweet today we'll see if if trump sees it i'm sure i'm the only one he's seeing but that's what i said (laughs) i was like if you want the stock market to to sort of get some confidence yeah yeah like fucking come out and say the army is here to help and we are ready to set up temporary hospitals and we'll get through this together and yeah it might be bad you don't floating a payroll tax cut like that is insane to me yeah yeah cut rates that's the only you're gonna bail out (laughs) like shale okay cool we're gonna bail out the uneconomic industry in the u.s what about bailing out the cruise companies where they're all owned by billionaires and they don't list and pay they don't they're not (laughs) domiciled in the states for taxes it's so you go down if that happens so I, like, I think we're also, from a financial standpoint, flat-footed. Like, we've come into this with rates that are already crazy low, trillion-dollar deficits, tax structures already lowered from previous all-time debt levels out of control at different levels. All these – I think there's going to be a lot of questionable debt and then buyback uh, management questions. Like, dude, what were you guys doing here, right? Like, you, you were not preparing for a rainy day at all. Um, and then markets are crazy expensive. Like all of these things are from a financial standpoint. And then one other thing. Rates are low, bro. Rates, markets aren't well, expensive because yeah. rates are low. Are they low or do they not exist? <laughs> yeah, right. To so, the listeners, I, I've put my whole portfolio in 10-year treasuries. I, I've totally switched. I've determined that they're going to 10 basis points. We've got no idea where they are at the money. Because we're recording this 10 days before this comes out. Maybe Maybe we'll try and release it a little bit earlier, but... It seems Probably like be uh, the move is uh, the moves are very violent in between podcasts. Yeah. So so let me ask you this: what what do you what jobs were added since two thousand nine for the most part? Instagram influencer. Okay. It's been sweet. Podcaster. 
Yes. Yeah. How about more like I mean service, service, service. right? Like yeah. bartenders, baristas. If people stop going out for things for a, a significant period of time, those that's like all of those jobs that were supposedly added are I think the mm. most at risk. Yes. And that's those are why people also who are close to the edge, right? Like they're Yes, that's why the payroll tax who does the payroll tax? I mean, it helps a lot of us. But a lot of the people are white-collar workers that can work from home anyway. It's not going to do shit for the service industry. My buddy's restaurant did 170 di- dinners two weeks ago. It did 70 last week. This is just the beginning. Operational like, leverage goes the other way, too. Yeah. yeah. People don't even know how serious – I mean, people are starting to understand how serious this is. But, yeah, I mean, that's why I was saying two weeks ago before I sort of understood how the virus passed, I was like – we're really going to shut down the economy. I mean, it's not just the direct first order effects. It's all the tangential industries. Like, what does Vegas look like over the next 12 year, or twelve months? It's not going to be good. No. Okay, so one last thing. 60% of, of households with kids have two working parents. When we, What do we do when they shut down the schools to keep from trying to infect everybody and all these kids are at home now with two parents who are supposed to be working like that. And what do you, you like bring in the grandparents who are to watch them who are the most at risk? Uh, like this is a, that's a really nasty cocktail. Yeah. You just don't work. You just don't, what do you, what do you do if you're, what do you do if you're a healthcare provider and your kids are at home? I don't know, but we need you on the front lines. Yeah. I, I mean, this is, this is why the market's off so hard. I think, you know, this is the all the way back to uh, twenty yeah nineteen levels. I hate to be I hate to be a fear monger when the market's off, but I kind of feel like the market is still expensive where it is. Who knows what happens? But Ackman thinks so too, right? I mean, that was that was what he just wrote uh, with the Pershing Square letter. He said, you know, our hedges are working, and uh, I'm I'm pretty sure he said I don't think this is a bottom. Um, You know. my, I don't my think shorts have certainly been working. I'm very happy with the shorts at the moment. The longs have been letting the team down a little bit. Uh, value <laughs> longs, uh, if anybody's been watching values, again, the worst performing factor through the crisis. But uh, we, we all hope that it comes back one day uh, in the, maybe the 2100s or the 2200s. <laughs> well, you yeah. have long duration. Yeah, not well, me personally. I mean... my, my, my descendants. Yeah. I, I think a lot of value guys, I know certainly myself, um, I, I mean, I'm long financials. I'm not particularly worried. Uh, I mean, we're going to be buying in shares here, so we'll see in five years how it all looks. Yeah, in all seriousness, but, I, I kind of like the value portfolio what here. revenue? I think it's the values, value names are very, very cheap. And I think I'm, I've been talking about this a little bit on Twitter, but I think Berkshire is sort of... Berkshire is getting to one of those generational, half-generational opportunities where it is right now. It's as cheap now as it was in the 2009 low and the 2011 low. Those are the, there are 68 days between now and the very peak in 2007 out of like 3,000-something days where uh, it's been cheaper. So I think it's, it's stonkingly good value here. It is a lot of my portfolio, and I have slept very well at night. Uh, if there's two guys I trust to manage through it, it's those two guys, provided they avoid it, avoid the the the, the flow, and uh, that's a that is a genuine fortress balance sheet. 
I mean, I don't want to lose those guys, but let's say they don't avoid the flu. I think they got a pretty good team behind them. Now, you know, what happens in five years and do the managers continue to work? That's sort of something you got to watch. But, um, I, I mean, I have gotten on Buffett for the buybacks. I have gotten on him for accumulating all the cash. Uh, I have deferred to him because I thought he's smart. Guess what? He is. Like, right now, it is super easy to sleep right now when you have Berkshire in your portfolio. Same with Charter. Like, Charter, I mean, I you know, I hope this stock gets cut in half. They are going to eat so much of themselves because you're going to pay your broadband bill. So might, might let's be the go. only thing I pay the, the the internet bill. That's right. So let's do it. Chop it in half. I want to own more of that. I'm cool. So let's let's maybe that's a good point to segue uh, to your topic, Bill. You're, you you've given some thoughts to managing uh, value through a crisis. Have we've, we're, we're sort of we're down. We're not. I don't. I don't know if we're down twenty percent yet, but we're down close. I we're, we're kissing it. We're very close. And any the way that the market moves, it could go through it tomorrow it could go through it before the end of the day yeah um yeah i i just so you know i mean i've been super public about thinking the airlines are different uh that has been a situation where if in my underwriting you had said okay well what happens if you just chop revenue in half for a year or make it go to zero park every single plane in the u.s and what's your business look like now I I would have dismissed that as like, what are you even talking about, right? And I guess what this has really forced me to think about is that's actually a possibility. And it's it's certainly more probable than I thought it may be. And maybe we are looking at a black swan, right? I mean, maybe this is sort of the left tail manifesting itself. Maybe it's, it's just sort of natural order of things. But um, I think that, you know, really thinking about how resilient the businesses that I own are and do I want to really own them through the downside and not being as dismissive of what risk looks like. How are you assessing um, the resiliency? I I mean, I think that, it, well, with the airlines, it's sort of different. I mean, I'm, I'm concerned and remain concerned about liquidity. And I have always been like, well, I'll just buy the best breed in balance sheet. But, you know, uh, I mean, it's a lot of operating leverage in the short term and they, they burn a fair amount of cash. Now, you know, they get some help on oil and you have your yields are like 65%, I think I heard, but they're losing all the business booking. And that's a lot of the front end booking. There's a lot of margin in that. And I'm not sure that business like in the social media age, I don't think you want to be the first business or set of businesses that say go travel again. So I don't know how long this can last. I think people are or I know I certainly underestimated how long this could last because I thought it would be like a shock event and then you move on. Um, the, I think they're doing all the right things. I just don't know, you know how much is in their control. I think you find out after it. So, you know, to that extent, I, I that that business fundamentally will always warrant a lower multiple than something like Charter, where you do have subscription broadband revenues that even if we all have to shelter in place, they're getting paid. Um, so that's just sort of the stuff that I've been thinking about. And like I said, I mean, I I sold AB InBev. Um, I mean, I, I still 
I was obviously wrong if I sold. I wish that there were alternative paths of the world that I didn't have to play this hand, but this is the hand. So, you know, maybe in the future, I, I focus a little bit more on anti-fragile businesses. What is it? Where does anti-fragility come from for you? Is it just the balance sheet? Well, I just said it can't be right. So it's got to be some combination. It can't be that alone, but it's got to be some combination of the balance sheet and a, and a cost structure that sort of allows you to flex up and down would be what I would say. How about management? Yeah. Yeah. A ton and culture. Like I know, I, I mean, I'm not at all worried about uh, Markel and Sarab and Tom and Dan doing the right things right now. Like I just, I don't, it doesn't even cross my mind. If the stock got chopped in half, I'd be like, all right, cool, let's go. You know, like these are my soldiers. I'm down to ride. Um, some of these other businesses, though, like I don't feel that way about. And that's why I sort of have avoided some of the, you know, less. I, I mean, I, I hate to pick on it, but like EAF. Now you get to see what credit risk on those contracts actually looks like. Like, mm -hmm. is was the steel industry ready to do this? Like, if this is a prolonged problem, I don't think so. That's why I never really liked that idea. This is slightly tangential, but along the same line. Energy, uh, a few days ago, got absolutely taken to the woodshed. Oil's off so much. 1927 style. Occidental off right. 53%. Well, Oxy Ooh. was where I was going. So, Oxy, uh, like, that's a that's a... For folks who don't know, so the way that they did the deal um, was they issued this $10 billion pref to Buffett that pays him $200 million a quarter. So they didn't have to therefore go and get shareholder approval to get the deal through. And so now they've cut their dividend to the point where they're paying, I think Buffett gets half of the cash flows that get paid out in dividends. And he's got he's got the ten billion dollar pref. I said to I said in Twitter yesterday like congrats to Buffett like that's I'm not nothing nothing against him like you do the deal you can get but that is sort of criminally dumb by the management of Oxy to have uh, you know you don't go and get shareholder approval for something like that that's outrageous. It's this gross is what, corporate negligence. Yeah, this not is what Energy FinTwit has just shat all over her for the entire time and like Ridiculous. guess what it happened. That said, I'm about to talk out of the, both sides of my mouth. Right now, like something like Chevron is sort of intriguing to me because it's very hard to argue to me that you can get a more bombed out story than oil right now. Energy I and, don't energy own and it. airlines, like th th you've got a kind of little hedge built into it already. I, I kind of yeah. like those trades. Get the fortress balance sheets. Get the good businesses. Like that's how that's, that's how this stuff works. You got to get in there and buy that sort of stuff. Here's the only only pushback that I've given myself on airlines because since it's been almost a hundred percent of my time uh, and mind share uh, is what's the scenario? So you could you could wait to buy these things and you could see how they actually perform. And what are you really going to give up on the upside versus what risk you're taking by trying to be early on it? I, I think that. There's there's an, a legitimate argument to be made to me that the risk reward skew is potentially better waiting to the end of this and seeing like, I mean, right now people are game theorying what does a government bailout look like like that? I mean, that's not super fun to, to invest into. Mm -hmm. uh, and I get that you're getting uh, a discount, but like Delta is still a twenty seven billion dollar ent uh, entity. It's not like it's you're not buying an option here. Um so I just I don't know that the risk reward skew is quite what it should be. And I don't think they're going to double overnight. 
so you could watch it. That would be the only pushback I have. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. I don't the the so I have two thoughts there. One is you kind of got to strike while the iron's hot, and when you get the opportunities, you got to buy them. That's right. But you don't necessarily have to fill up the entire position. You can buy some, see what happens, and buy some more. Because you're right, like there is there is still a lot of risk in in all of those positions. Oil, no really, nobody really knows where that's going. Airlines, nobody really knows where that's going. And I do think there's a lot of bets right now that are pretty correlated. That if you look at a drawdown perspective, like I mean, Formula One, Booking.com, Live Nation, Vail Resorts, like I mean, those are some Class A assets that I think have a lot of the same risk right now that you could probably hide in. And make a very similar trade. The only safe place is Tesla. I know that that's sounding like a trader. Yeah. And I'm not trying to sound like a trader, but I I do think that that's something people at least should think about. Something I've been thinking about. What are you doing, Jake? Are you buying anything? Yeah, Tesla. Well, that's for your your investors to know and everybody else to find out. Are you selling puts on Tesla? Try to harvest that premium before you buy in cheap? No. No, that's... That thing's it's radioactive. It doesn't matter. You can't you, you can't away. be long or short that thing, and I am short it, unfortunately, in full disclosure. Too dangerous. Um Yeah, I mean I've been nibbling most some of the things that I already owned that have gotten more attractive. Uh but in general, I've been kind of waiting and seeing. Like I like like you said, I think it's still pretty expensive relative to the the bigger impacts that I think are possible. I think we're still maybe discounting that this is just going to like blow over and like V back and that and, and granted like we've had what 10 or 11 years now of every single little hiccup whether it was a government shutdown or European crisis you know Greeks uh, you, I mean everything has been a quick rebound and then onward we march uh, upward I, I'm not sure it's going to be the same this time I think and granted, I've you know I probably would have thought some of these other things would have had bigger problems too, but we've just shrugged them off. Uh, I don't want to lose sight of being generally an optimist because I think that's the right way to approach the world and and investing. I think that you get paid to be an optimist generally, but in this case, I feel like we're still sort of under underappreciating the the price tells me that we're underappreciating the risks still. I I think that the real difference, like for me, the 2018 dip was pretty easy to buy. Um, this one, I have been much, much more cautious. And I think the reason is, despite what you guys just told me that Mnuchin said, is like this absolutely has an economic impact. And and I think that anyone that doesn't think that we're, I, I mean, I don't know, what it, Gunlock's 40% must be at 80 now. I mean, the amount of economic activity that's going to be pulled in for a while, I don't think it's that easy to just buy this dip. Um, and, you know, famous last words, I'm not like going to cash or anything like that, but I don't think this one is just some sell-off. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm with, slow, I'm with, my feet. I'm with you, Jake, that like because I've, I've been through two gigantic drawdowns, I sort of, in, in every single one of them, I always thought, you know, the rookie error is to to uh, shoot all of your ammo in the first few days and weeks. And then basically what that's meant is that in the last 11 years, every time it's happened, I've kind of been like, 
just like just warming up and stretching and we're already back to all-time highs. Yeah, same here. So I, <laughs> it's a it's a slightly different situation now, but I you know, I, I still have some cash. I still have uh you know, I've got a whole lot of cheap stuff and I like the way you frame it up. It all it's all got a lot more attractive since uh since this whole thing started happening, which means it's down a lot. <laughs> yes. The only the only kind of uh bright spot is that I feel like the portfolio has been doing much better than comparable value portfolios because I've got some shorts in there and I just and I've tended to buy sectors that tend to be a little bit cheaper so I think that they have been a little bit better protected. I don't think you get to see the full um strength of or, or the full strength of value until this thing really gets rolling. I really don't think value is going to be punished all the way down. I think what happens is value We've sells already gotten first. it. We right. we sold off for two months of before this started. So that's one of the funny things. Like I, hmm. coronavirus yeah, you did is the say trigger. That before, yeah, you did say that before. Coronavirus is the trigger, but I kind of feel like something was come. I felt like something was coming a long time before that because we were already selling off, and you see it in value when the value starts selling off. So value has already kind of value's in its bear market now, well and truly in its bear market. Probably has been for four weeks done. Like you look at a look at a composite of value funds. Corey Hofstein has them on his site. I can pull it up and put it in the notes to this but you'll see that it's 20 percent down so definitionally bear market sorry i think that it's been coming like coronavirus happens to be the trigger but it just about could have been anything that gave people a little bit of fright but i actually now do think that coronavirus is going to be you know you don't see the reporting for q2 when it really starts to bite until q3 it's something that is with us in reporting in earnings for a really long like at least until probably till the end of the year I'm pretty interested to see how how like true retail money uh, starts to respond to the headlines. I mean, I've talked to some people that like my one buddy was just telling me how he thinks he thinks the market knows. And I'm like, I don't I mean, I buy that a lot and I can understand like, yeah, the market sees forward 18 months. People, the average person that I've talked to that's outside of finance does not understand at all what the headlines are yet and you know you start to see your your like if i was a boomer okay and i owned etfs and i actually started to lose friends and my etf was was down and i had 2009 uh you know ptsd i don't know that i'd stick around uh i think people are going to be put a pretty strong decision here and i'll be interested to see sort of you know how that all goes because you could have some panic selling when the headlines get scary. I do think the market is often ahead of uh, the headlines and I don't know how that happens but it's you know it's just the market seems to bottom close to when the mm-hmm. I have no idea how it happens it's just one of those uh, wisdom of crowds type type ideas it does seem to work but I don't know so that's why I, like that, that that makes it sound like I'm making a pretty strong argument for technical analysis there which uh, I guess if I could read the charts, I would, but you know, I, and I don't think anybody can read the charts. I think it's all obvious in in hindsight and not not prospectively. Yeah, I mean, you just I think you have to be comfortable with the idea that you're going to be early. Um, but I mean, what's a typical drawdown has been eighteen months on average. Yeah. If you just had to throw a dart, something like that. All right, how far are we into this one? Like a month and a half or something? I don't know. Two years? It feels like it's been two years. Is it, or is it like five days? <laughs> the crazy thing is that this has been so fast. 
So I don't know what that does. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means recover faster too. I mean, I don't think it's a V bottom, but I don't think it's an 18-month one either. Ice pick instead. Yeah, that's that's probably a good analogy, but it's... It's funny, maybe we are living in this accelerated age where when things sell off, they recover faster too. But I don't think it's like a V-shaped bottom. I think it, it's going to look more like 2000 or 2007, I don't know. It's going to be interesting, man. I, I, a lot of these SaaS companies that rely on sales forces that get on airplanes to do deployments and stuff, you better take your growth assumptions in at least for a year. And maybe it doesn't matter, right? But we'll see. I don't know. You, you, people are going to be. You're going to find out how much conviction there is in some of these names. I'm conviction hoping not much your, conviction in your Vanguard ETF. I mean, does anybody really have conviction in that, or is it more just like? Yeah, well, that's panic selling, right? As Michael Which Green maybe points out, though, a lot of that is investment that just comes out of paychecks that people never consider at all. Like they have no emotion about it whatsoever. It just gets funneled into those. Yeah. To, to many of those ETFs, so that bid is still going to be there when things are going up well that's true do, do they cha- do you change that do you, like it's a uh, it's going into your retirement account it's, it's i remember the people in that i worked with in 2009 and it was like no let's that's going to cash now all right let's go into the money market account not the market just keeps going down why would i put it in that couldn't hide in money market accounts either I mean, that's true. <laughs> you got no trading fees now. I don't know. I just think it's interesting. Well, you can't I, trade I mean, on Robinhood. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> no fees, but no trading thing. either. What's uh? Who do you think? Where's the first like Bear Stearns hedge fund that blows up? I can't believe we haven't seen it yet. Energy. I know. Something yeah. has just to have blown up by now, right? Where's the high-profile explosion of something? I'm astonished we haven't seen it. It's not Ackman. He hedged. Yeah, no. He crushed it on that hedge. I, You know, this is I, – I just think that there are times that I have held cash and I've done it in order to be sort of like anti-fragile. And on the way up, it hurts. Like it really sucks to underperform. And it feels so good to watch something like this and be like, you know what? This is why I planned. You know, and I just think that that's why, you know, people need to think about the bad times when it's good times. And then in the bad times, there's some names here that probably are going to be a lot higher in 18 months, you know, 24 months. So, you know, it's it's a matter of being able to live through a little bit of a drawdown. Three to five years. Yeah, we'll see. I'm going to paraphrase Bill. He's Here's what Bill's saying. Suck it, all you grasshoppers. <laughs> No, that's not what I'm saying. My, I have gotten blown up in some names. I fucking bought Schwab. Schwab has been just decimated. I'm not sitting here like a Twitter flex saying I'm up 70%. That's bullshit. It's been painful. But uh, I am happy with the top of my portfolio, and I'm not selling any of it. All right, let's do my topic. Yes, please. So uh, Dan Rasmussen had a nice tweet where he said, if you watch the high-yield spreads... They are often early to big drawdowns, and then you can take away some uh, guidelines for when the market recovers and so on. So if you watch them, so the the high yield spread, you can actually dig this data series up for yourself. It's available free online. You get it from the um, St. Louis Fed. St. Louis? St. Louis. How do you say that? St. Louis. I think it's St. Louis. I mean, at least in America. 
Yeah, that's my that's my accent. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, St. Louis. I'll get that right next time. Uh, I will put this in the show notes as well, but the, it's so you can look it up yourself. ICE B of A, Bank of America, US High Yield Index Option Adjusted Spread. Uh, so the numbers in the, 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 the data series goes back to 1996. And uh, you can see very clearly it blows through. So the numbers to watch are sort of somewhere between 6 and 8%. When it goes, can you explain what it is? Like it's it's high yield debt minus. Yes, sorry. Yeah, it's so it's high yield. It's the high yielding debt minus the ten year, and it just looks at the. So this is the junk spread. This is what uh, leverage borrowers typically have to pay. So when these rates blow out, this is often when you see it's not just a equity correction. It's there's some underlying problem as well. I think that's what it sort of demonstrates because they start demanding higher yields to to underwrite a lot of this stuff. So we saw. And the, just real quick, the OAS is option-adjusted spread. So uh, when I was in CFA Level 2 preparation, I could tell you what that means, and I'll tell you now is Google it. It's the proper one to look at. I did say option-adjusted spread then, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying that because we had when, asked when to it comes explain up. what it was. So I was just saying it's You had to just drop that CFA. Uh, drop come some on. C- was that, what what level today? CFA do they teach you that? <laughs> I don't know. So, I think it's 2. I think 2 is the one that you got to. There we go. I'm lashing out because I'm afraid of coronavirus. I'm sorry, though. <laughs> okay. Get That's your mask we, on. The, 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 only, the only point that I would make about this, this chart is that it blew up in, two, it blew up in 1998, uh, blew up in 2007, it blew up in 2011, it blew up in mm. 2016. 2011, 2016 were pretty mild. It only just got to, it just got to eight in 2011. It didn't quite get to eight in 2016, uh, but it went through like six pretty um, in in both instances. The 2001 and the 2007 one were like very substantial. You can look at it on the chart. You'll see how kind of how peaky it got. So it doesn't necessarily have to get to that kind of level, but we have gone through six. We went through six point eight yesterday. We've come back a little bit today to six point three eight. It, it's mo- like it, it's updated every single day. So it's and it's very very steep at the moment. So I don't know whether that means it's going to come back down very steeply or whether we're at the beginning of something that's a very violent move. But it's worth just watching that because it sort of gives you an idea. And when it gets when it starts recovering, I think that that's a pretty good indication that a lot of the underlying credit pain is is leaking away and i would say that'll be close to the bottom for the stock market it moves all over the place but it's just worth watching because it tells you something more than you know you're not trying to just pick a bottom in the equity market you're looking at the fundamentals of the market too we'll probably come back in when we bail out shale yeah i mean how how much of that index is shale i bet it's a ton i have no idea but um, i bet it's there's a a lot of energy in there i'm sure yeah fuck yeah there is i I mean it's going to be uh, the idea that we might bail that out is like really funny to me. I mean, it's like very infuriating, but it's also very funny. Why are the bailouts going to shale and to Carnival Cruises? These are the questions that I have as well, sir. They should be going to the service sector. I think either of those things can kind of either we can lose them and we'll be fine. Yeah. Sorry to all the shale and Carnival Cruise guys out there. And also the Carnival, the, the cruise lines are all domiciled offshore and not paying tax in the States. So that kind of... Yeah, no. It excludes the, you, right? Yeah, the waiters should be cut direct checks. I know it's hard to do it, but if you want to help people, help the people that are hurt, not 
over levered billionaire oil people that are hiding in an LLC and levering up like crazy. Get out of here. You can take your loss. I'd rather I'd be more in favor of removing their limited liability company protections and clawing back their actual personal wealth than I would bailing them out. Well, that should go first before you get the bailout. Yeah. Get out of here with this. But I guess, you know, it gets systemic if you if you have too many debt defaults. But doesn't bankruptcy, like, isn't that what bankruptcy does? It just wipes out the equity, wipes out the the, the next layer until you get to the folks who, who were lending securely. And then they c- take control of the assets and hand it on to the next entrepreneur who's got some plan for them. I think that's a pretty good way of doing it, isn't it? That's the fairest way of doing it. I think you just described capitalism. Yeah, but that's unfortunately, how it's supposed to work. Yeah, unfortunately, we're, we sell puts under everything now, so that that's doesn't crazy. exist. It is insane. Terrible policy. Well, I mean, it's not surprising, though. I mean, we we have a track record of that now, right? Any And, like, the quickness that they already were talking about it, though, is what surprises me. Like, shit hasn't even gotten real yet, and they're already talking <laughs> about bailing people out? What? Yeah. That's I mean, I get it. Maybe well, I don't get it, actually, from a long run perspective. But all right. GM, uh, you know, AIG, maybe s- the banks like some of these things, maybe in 2008 were actually systemic risks. You still I'm wipe still, out the equity. You still. Yeah. Well, I mean, they kind of did with AIG. Uh, but to already be talking about that is just to me like it's. You were just telling them, like, you know what? Just keep doing all the dumb things you were doing because we got your back. I have a soft spot in my heart for airlines, obviously. I would say that that's actually an industry that I would be okay bailing out, uh, given that if we're saying, like... But what levels the bailout come in at? This is my question. Do you bail out the equity holders or do you bail out the airline and wipe out the equity holders? And I I say this as an equity holder. I know. I know. That's the thing that's tough about it. And I guess, I mean, I've had this conversation with myself. So I've thought like, on one hand, you have got to at least let the equity holders keep some of it. Otherwise, you may not get to finance them in the future. Right? There'll like be you people gotta there. have there'll be people there. Yeah. That's what that's what that's well, what happens. That's that's yeah, the bus- that's business. A, yeah. It's called progress. You know what I just realized is that we're we're, we're all Sears. <laughs> what? I realized that we're all Sears. We're all heading towards Sears. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm pretty optimistic. I think this is gonna be a painful period, but I think we're all gonna get through it just fine. No, I, I agree. That's how I feel about all the Sears real estate. It's just who's going to be the owner of it may dramatically change. Yeah. Well, and like that's the thing about the cruise. Like, why do you need to bail those guys out? Don't they have debt holders there? Like, let those guys fight it out. Figure out where the fulcrum asset or, you know, whatever it is. Like, just be done with it. Instead, we're going to write them a check. Like, that doesn't make sense. Anyway. All right. Uh, question I got a mailbag, too. You got a mailbag? Good. Do you, uh, you want to get... You go with no, your no, no, question. you go, no, you right. go ahead because I gotta find it. This is from Kevin Marks. Uh, this is a this is a this is a tough one. So enjoy this one. Buying a bond is secure because one can always hold it to maturity. Uh, if we're talking about government-backed in- instruments, you can see how that's a hedge. That's insurance. So we're talking about you know owning TLT or something like this into it. If if you buy a bond ETF, uh, they're not market-driven. Can they not drop like other equities responding to liquidity issues? Bill, I'll let you handle this easy one. 
No. I can't, I don't claim to understand all of the dynamics of some of like how these funds work. I've heard people talk about how a mismatch in liquidity of the underlying compared to the, the, the derivative of it, which is the TLT of, for in this instance, that that could cause serious problems. Uh, I don't quite understand why. Like, I guess you probably just like the price can just move more than you're willing to imagine when you thought you were buying something very secure. Uh, I don't know what else you guys have to add to that. Yeah, you're you're always as liquid. An ETF is as liquid as the underlying assets, yeah. not the liquidity of the ETF. So you can't buy something that's you can't have an underlying asset that's very illiquid and put a liquid ETF on it and expect for the liquidity in the ETF to persist through the most illiquid times in the underlying asset. I think that TLT though, I mean, I, I said TLT, I introduced TLT. That's not actually in the question, but I sort of assumed that that's what the question was driving at. I think government... High yield, you, high yield isn't as liquid as the ETF is, right? I mean, the ETF and high yield... You could have some underlying. There could be trading in the ETF. You don't have to. That doesn't necessarily make any impact at all on the underlying yeah. instrument because people can just buy and sell. But there are times when when the liquidity dries up, like when markets crash. That's when the liquidity goes away, and the underlying asset liquidity becomes the question. I still think government government backed securities, government backed bonds, still going to be very very liquid. I wouldn't be too concerned about those ETFs. But it is always that's a good question to ask though. You should look at what you're buying. Are you buying an exchange-traded note? Are you buying an exchange-traded yeah. fund? Where is your counterparty risk? What happens if... Like, what is the fund made up of? Is the fund made up of holdings in the underlying asset or is it some sort of uh, swap written with a bank where you've got... You've got to watch their... Now, you've got to watch their, uh, their credit worthiness as well. Yeah, yeah. Counterpart- you do have to think about those things. Look at the, look at who your counterparties are. Make sure you understand the structure. Make sure you understand the underlying liquidity and the assets, because that's the time when you go to lean on these things is probably when all the liquidity dries up. So, great question. Thanks, Kevin. Well, and the I mean, biggest what- problem with a lot of these bond constructions, right, is like they they are market cap weighted to the debt outstanding. So, if you're holding a bond ETF. You are actually holding more of the issuers that need to issue more paper, which means fundamentally your credit quality is not as good as you may think it is. Like that, I've I personally have never understood bond ETFs, and I I think uh, what about TLT? Yeah, I think that's probably fine. I mean, I don't. You mean like what, the corporate, the, the high yield stuff? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What I mean, percentage I, of people who own a bond index fund have? even a tenth of the knowledge or understanding of how it operates that to actually be an owner of it. Not 1%. many, but then are you really... <laughs> the 1%. But, some, you know, there's also an argument that, you know, that's kind of why you invest in a fund rather than going and doing it yourself. You trust the manager to, to execute the strategy that they have kind of written down. But that's why you should... Re- you should at least have a look at the documentation. I, I know it's no all one terrible. Does that. No it's one terrible. does it. It's so hard and to And you read. know what's going to happen is it's all going to blow up and then people are going to be like, oh, the system screwed me. You screwed yourself. You played yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you bought stuff you didn't know. You played yourself. Get out of here with that nonsense. Oof, I hope this doesn't come back to haunt us, this conversation. <laughs> May. All right. Next one from my man, Brock Briggs. Listener 10, he murdered listener nine to get to right in the 10 slot, which is aggressive, but I appreciate the commitment. Um, Anyway, 
uh, after my bad jokes. For all of us that uh, manage our own personal money, especially small amounts, how can price play a role in stock selection? Uh, I don't want to dictate what I buy based on price, but uh, if a guy only has a few hundred bucks a month to invest, buying one share of Apple may not be as effective as maybe buying five to ten of a stock that's cheaper. I wouldn't think that way personally. I think you value the business and then you buy the fractional interest in the business that you can afford to buy. And that's how I would think about it. I wouldn't think about share price. And actually, aren't there studies that show that higher share prices actually lead to outperformance? Uh, it's not, it's clearly not causal. It's because they all include Berkshire. Yeah. No, but I think it has something to do with management teams that are not very concerned with doing stuff like having splits. I, I, it's not. It's obviously not the cause, but I think it's a correlation. Isn't it just the fact that they went up to a high share price uh, kind of in, make them, by definition, like your sampling error seems like it would be high there. Never, bro. That's a good point. You could have a you could have a one for ten or a, yeah, one for ten split, right? Or would it be the other way? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, get it up there. I what they were doing it's, share Viagra. I never ever that. look at the share price. I almost couldn't tell you what the share price is of half the thing. I just it's just not at all relevant to me that the the number that you're buying it at, like it's how many pieces of you, when it, when you cut your pie up or your pizza or your cake. I, if you're feeling hungry, do you cut it into eight pieces or do you cut it into four pieces? Like it's, it's just it's totally irrelevant. You, you so do I, the valuation. I, I use this actually as a and maybe I shouldn't even say this publicly, but I use this as a tell when I'm talking to someone to see kind of what kind of investor they are. If they talk in share prices, that's completely different to me. If they talk in market cap, market cap, yeah, or even enterprise value. Now that's yeah, that's the. That's the Winnie the Pooh in the tuxedo down is for enterprise value. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I tell you the one thing that I do, like the restoration hardware uh, research project that I did, you know, I, I will look at potential dilution. That I think is really important because if you just look at market cap and you don't know what kind of dilution might be on the com, you might quote a market cap and be completely wrong on what the actual true market cap that you could be buying is versus what you fully think fully diluted. Buying. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I yeah, I'm tr that's a good nuance. That's, yeah, that's the sure. only nuance. That's it. Yeah. There I, are I could, no others. I couldn't agree more. Well, this has been fun. I'm in quite a mood. Yeah. I'm amped up today. I think when I got I, my mic working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you get your Peloton delivered yet? Yeah, man, I did. Uh, I told you I've been booze free for what? What are we on? Like day 12? I've been Pelotoning. Shit is looking up for Brewster. <laughs> man, you're you're ready for Corona. I love it. I'm trying. I'm not trying to get taken out by this thing. Yeah, uh, or even more than that. Like, I, I don't want to be a vector for other people who are at, at more risk. I canceled my flight to see my grandma. I just told her I said I can't. I mean, she means too much to me. She's 91. I'm not taking that risk. Uh, so we'll see. Yeah, Knock you, could on wood, carrying it. you could be carrying it to her. Yeah, my mom too. I was like, just, you know, be careful. So to anyone out there, be safe. Stay Watch safe out there. Yeah, yeah thanks, folks. Safe. We'll see you next week. Monetize us, Google.